And hello and welcome everyone to another what should be thrilling installment of the Retro Hero Video Podcast. It's like a book club, but with cartoons and superheroes most of the time. Yeah. Still still figuring out the intro, Matt. We're four episodes in. I swear at some point I will hammer down the intro that will stay. With Comic Multiverse, I feel I hit it out of the park perfect the first time and never changed it in almost 300 episodes. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty simple intro. Yeah. It's a very simple intro, very easy to remember. So, yes, we're back again, everyone. It's the end of the month, and, you know, I thank you for coming along with us on this uh, fun and crazy journey we've been taking. Uh, the first arc of Retro Hero Video, Matt. Now we're talking about before we start. It has all been about very special episodes, PSA episodes, and episodes with a message. Yeah, yeah, all, all about drugs, uh, stranger kidnapping. danger, mm-hmm. kidnapping. Yep, all, all the good stuff. Yeah, yeah all the yeah. good stuff. I, I mean, good stuff. Eh, finger <laughs> quotes, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, obviously, no talk of very special episodes in superhero animation would be complete without the Static Shock episode, Season 2, Episode 11, Jimmy, which is a very serious episode that, in case you didn't know, in case you're just clicking on this randomly, uh, deals with the topic of shmool schmoodings. Now, I have <laughs> to say shmool schmoodings right now because I'm pretty sure a minute 30 into the video, YouTube would probably ding me if I said the word that it actually is. Yeah, yeah, that that's the problem nowadays. Is it'll probably end up demonetized or something, you know. You know, I'm willing to take the hit because, you know, I think it's worth it to talk about it. But also, hey, uh, be forewarned, like I said, going into this, this this is a dark topic. This is a serious topic. It's probably the most serious topic we've ever covered on the mm-hmm. channel. You know, here we usually like to try and keep things light and keep things funny. And obviously, we are going to try and have some laughs along the way. But in classic, you know, uh, true crime murder podcast, we're not going to be making fun of the victims or their families, so you don't have to worry. This is the closest thing to a content warning I've ever had to do for <laughs> Cape Joel. Just throwing it out there so you know. But uh, before we hop into the episode proper, we have a little thing we do here on Retro Hero Video in case you've never seen it before. We we just don't jump into the episode. We need to paint a picture, Matt. We need to tell the people what the world was looking like around the time that this episode aired in 2002. And with that, uh, we hop on over and I, I ask you a question and feel free to play along at home everyone uh what kind of world was this episode in well a good place to start is what uh, what do you think the number one song was in 2002 what what were you listening to in 2002 mm, well i i know it definitely wasn't what the, the pick is because i already know the pick because i've seen the picture already. ah yes um, <laughs> matt's actually looking at the files this time <laughs> um but yeah no, no um well obviously it's it's pink it is oh. pink with i think her first big hit don't let me get me I think so. Yeah, it's it's one song I don't hear a lot of people talk about when no. they talk about her music. Which is a shame because I was re-listening to it before we started this. I not only think it holds up, but for the first time that we've actually done this segment on the show, I think it actually does tap into the zeitgeist of what we're going to be talking about culturally. Because you listen to this one, and mm. even though it's built up as like you know, oh, this big popular mass-produced pop song, it's very like grim the lyrics and like very self-hating it's yeah, like yeah. it's very shocking like again the, the the whole chorus is don't let me get me i'm a hazard to myself and i'm like oh yeah that really really is talking about the disaffected youth of the day and how they felt mm-hmm. no absolutely and say what you want about pink and everything being you know created as this product to be like the anti britney spears and the anti christina aguilera pop star pop star I think a lot of her stuff really holds up. A lot of it's pretty damn good, yeah. A lot of it is strong. This one especially, there's there's a lyric in this song that always did my head in. It did my head in back in 2002 when it was new, and it did my head in, oh my god, 20 years later now when we're talking about it. <laughs> the line is, uh, teacher dates me, my parents hate me, and I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> that was in a pop song for tweens oh my god also your parents shouldn't be hating you should they they should be hating that teacher and calling the police <laughs> what that yeah. was just a lyric 
Yeah, yeah, and and the thing is that that was probably something pretty prevalent that was happening at the time. Oh, probably. Oh, probably. 2002, as we're going to discover, was a wild-ass time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It really was. Now, music is one thing, Matt. Of course, the next big question on my mind is, what what movie do you think was really popular in 2002? What, what was the biggest movie? Because there were some big releases that year, especially in the geek space. There was, there was. I, I think I know what the biggest picture was, though, because it's 2002, which means it's probably Spider-Man. It's a little indie movie that you may have heard of. Yep, Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man, the first one. The superhero movie that arguably changed everything for superhero movies. Mm-hmm. This was the first one that hit so big, it had a ton of, like, you know, copycats coming later and also Rands yep. trying to have their own big Spider-Man hit. Yep. And a lot of them didn't make it. No, 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 no. <laughs> it wouldn't be until 2008 when you would get, like, your Iron Man and your Batman begins and, like, superhero culture basically became the dominant culture. Yep, yep. I, I can very much remember this movie coming out and me being, like, a self-obsessed, kind of shitty comic fan, being like, oh, they're never gonna get it because, you know, the last time we had a big superhero movie, it was, like, Batman and Robin and everything. Mm-hmm. It's like, nah, this genre's dead. Hollywood doesn't get it, man. Hollywood doesn't respect it. I-, I didn't see it in theaters. I actually saw it on, like, video or DVD, you know, these DVDs that were new at the time. And I'm like, holy shit, this was actually good. Yeah, I think I saw it on VHS as well. I'm not, I can't exactly remember. I do, I, I do remember having the VHS for it, though, and playing it way too many times which uh, again like let that sink into all of you who are younger fans out there who are listening a superhero movie came out a spider-man movie no less and matt and i young matt and myself didn't know if we should have seen it in theaters or not (laughs) because you didn't know back then like that's why when people now say like oh this was the worst superhero movie ever this was the worst thing i'm like oh Oh, my sweet summer children, this is a goddamn masterpiece compared to what we used to get. Yeah, we, we had, like, Blade 3s mm. and Jonah Hexes mm. and all these terrible... Daredevil. Yes, all Ghost these Rider. ones in between. Yes, all these terrible... The uh, first two Fantastic Four movies. Yes, yes. All these terrible movies in between. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's what everyone was jamming theaters for and something that, you know, is very prevalent to our interest. Now, as far as TV goes, uh, I'm just going to say what this is because there's no way you're going to get it because I sure as fuck didn't get it. Uh, apparently, the number one TV show was The Bachelor. Okay, yep. I would have thought it would have been like in our last episode where we where it was uh, American, like Idol. American Idol, those sorts of shows. Well, that was American Idol around season four, which I think was like the height of its popularity. I think The Bachelor had just started. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Again, don't quote me on that. I don't know much about reality television like this. This this is interesting, too. I probably should have brought it up more in the Teen Titans episode, but I'll definitely bring it up here. When we look at the entertainment, especially what was number one on television, boy, early 2000s culture seems really fucking vapid and empty, doesn't it? It Yeah, it's very, very um, sort of corporate. Absolutely. And a thing, too, that I imagine younger people don't get, where it's like, well, how did this become the biggest show in the world? Because this was a time before streaming and a hundred different... This was what was literally the only thing on. This is what was on. Like, again, obviously satellites had just come into vogue and everything at this time. But mm-hmm. by and large, you were still chained to whatever the big networks were coming out with. And they decided this year that this was going to be the big show. And it was the big show because you you couldn't see, you know, what was Netflix doing. You know, what was Apple TV pouring their money into. Streaming wasn't a thing. We we didn't have all the freedom that you have now to just go watch something else. F- forget about anime. Crunchyroll didn't exist yet in, in the West. You could pay for super overpriced DVDs. Or if you were like me, maybe one night on Friday, one of the networks would play like the first original run of something. Yeah, th- th- this was also at a time, I don't know what it was like in the US or Canada, but in Australia, like, if you wanted to watch, like, like a movie on TV, you'd have to wait until, like, Friday night or yep. Saturday night. Like, they they wouldn't air them, like, during the week or anything. Yep. It'd be, like, 8.30 on a Friday night or 8.30, yes. 7.30 on a Saturday. Yes, a lot of, yeah, because, like, movie channels were really just becoming a thing now. Mm-hmm. Home box office had existed, but it hadn't really become HBO as we knew it. Yeah, it was weird. I, I remember I was a huge fan of, like, the TBS dinner and a movie 
God, I watched freaking Cable Guy on that about a bajillion times and the <laughs> Brendan Fraser mummy about a hundred yeah. times. Because they play the same movies over yeah. and over again on TV. Yeah, yeah, it'd be like like a set of like five or six films that would just rotate. Yep, yep, basically. Again, what what weird times and times I never thought I would be nostalgic for. I know, right? I know. It was very easy to get caught up on everything back then, not now. Where it's like, oh, have you watched the new ten episodes of this? No, I'm working my way through this. No, I can't start that until... I'm done this mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to where now there's probably more great stuff that I'm missing <laughs> uh, now TV was one thing video games was another and 2002 was the year of Grand Theft Auto Vice City arguably a game that changed gaming as we know it and whose ripple effects we're still feeling 20 plus years later yeah, well, we just had that remaster of it, which uh, isn't very good, apparently. No, but, it is not. But, uh, yeah, it's still uh, in the zeitgeist. It's still referenced in things. Oh, yeah, so much time I sunk into this game. I was literally playing this game right up until San Andreas was released, like, to the day. I remember I, I didn't have a PlayStation 2, but my friends did. Because mm. I, I was I was Nintendo, I was the GameCube and all that sort of right, stuff. Right, right. Um, but my friend got, got it as well, and he got San Andreas as well, and we spent countless weekends playing it this was a time too when like video game storytelling was completely going to a whole other level like whoa they have ray liotta in here and burt reynolds and like big celebrities in this video game and they're like actually kind of taking it seriously oh my god mm -hmm. and to think they'd only get bigger from here yeah yeah uh, it was also a super violent video game that courted a ton of controversy and would often see itself becoming the scapegoat whipping boy for school violence and schmool schmootings, which, again, in its own way, connects to what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, absolutely. And all of the morality crusades against violent video games, again, I think I can say now, 20-plus years later, they were all bunk. They were all bullshit. There was no, no one has ever conclusively tied violence in young people no. to violence in video games and media, just like they couldn't tie it to heavy metal music or action movies in the decades prior. And uh, an interesting thing, too, that I love about the video game violence debate is uh, it really doesn't matter what part of the political aisle you're on, whoever in who is in power at the moment will be sure to blame violent video games. We saw that even recently with the last outbreak of American mass shootings where the president yep. blamed the violent video games. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that and um, TikTok and all ah, that yes. sort of stuff. Yeah, yes, yeah. It's, it's whatever, whatever is the new thing the kids are playing with nowadays is the thing that's causing you know, make, turning them into killers and sex perverts. And of stuff. course. Oh, well, well, we didn't have that back in our day, so it <laughs> must be the new thing that is the problem. Yeah, yeah. Which, uh, hey, for the record, uh, I, I do believe because this episode we're going to be talking about is directly referencing the Columbine shootings. That era of, like, politicians and pundits and everything, they blamed, like, Duke Nukem and Doom and everything. Doom, yeah. Which yeah. now you look back on those and they look so fucking quaint, don't they? I know, yeah. You look at that and you compare it to something like uh, like The Last of Us 2. Yeah. Or something. Yeah, and it's just like, really? That's yeah. what you're, you're... These people would have a heart attack looking at Today. games. Oh, they, they, they would burst into flames. They would spontaneously combust. But again, thematically interesting that we can tie this together culturally. Yeah. And uh, with that, of course, we have to turn to the world of comic books. What were people reading at the time? Yes. Because obviously we're a comic book channel, uh, first and foremost. Uh, believe it or not, the 2000s were a weird time for Marvel, kind of a rebuilding period. And we know it's a rebuilding period because one of their biggest titles is Marvel Knights. Yes. But like the first run of Marvel Knights, not like the imprint that you would know where it's like, oh, Marvel Knights Punisher and Marvel Knights mm -hmm. Daredevil and everything. No, this is just Marvel Knights. Yeah, it was like an uh, anthology book. Yes, it was them testing it out. It's like, hey, our stories, they're a little darker now, a little bit more adult. You know, we're not really doing the Comics Code Authority thing anymore. We're selling them with a PG on it. And, oh, yeah, we got actual celebrities in here now. Mm -hmm. For all the shit Joe Casada gets, this was his idea and his baby, and he basically called in every favor he had in Hollywood. And Marvel would not be the same without it. No, not really, no. Yeah, Marvel was in a big bad way in the early 2000s, and people forget that. The 90s and the comic crash had been disastrous to them. 
Absolutely. Yeah, they were on the verge of uh, selling. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, corporate raiders were circling them. It was almost mm-hmm. the end of them as we knew it, but between these comics building interest and the big success of the Spider-Man movie, it was also the year where they kind of turned it all around. Yeah. Uh, speaking of DC2, what was going on with Emma now? Uh, Robin celebrated his 100th issue the week that this issue or uh, this episode we're going to talk about aired. That's crazy. 100-issue Robin series. I know, right? The last time he had a run that long. This, of course, was the Tim Drake Robin, and it was written by Chuck Dixon, a guy who obviously time has not been kind to, but man, he wrote a Robin book and, you know, a Nightwing book, and I think he wrote Birds of Prey for a bit too, didn't he? Uh, I think so, yeah. I think so. You know, he wrote a lot of DC runs at that time that people like and still talk about and, you know, still regard, even if once they do it, they're like, oh, what's he been up to lately? Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) That's not great. And uh, obviously, we have to turn our eyes to something that is not the big two. And at this time, it certainly wasn't, uh, even though this reprint picture I'm realizing is. Uh, Marvel, uh, or the, the Legends Star Wars line, which I don't even think it was called yep. Legends at that point, no. was it? No, well, the, the, this, uh, this was when, uh, Star Wars comics were done through Dark Horse. Yes, this is Star Wars 42 from a fan favorite on the show, Suicide Squad alum, uh, John Ostrander. This was Star Wars 45, it was kicking off a brand new story arc, Rite of Passage. Yeah, he, he wrote most of, uh... Well, the, the, this run was technically called the Star Wars Republic run, ah. and I think he wrote uh, most of it. And it's like it's like issues set between the the sequel trilogy, uh, right. the prequel trilogy. We uh, we would have another prequel movie this year too. So interest in Star Wars was an all time high again. Yeah, I, I, I think um, not long after the week this this episode aired star wars would be coming out yes i think it was the number one movie after this week actually it would come out on like the 15th i think yeah yeah so yeah 16th of six, May. yeah yeah there you go so in- interesting time in geek culture would you not say a lot of things were shifting exactly yeah a lot of stuff say the same but it's very interesting to look back at this you know as kind of as cultural anthropologists as weird geek detectives that we are to try and make our assumptions and our connections and uh, now that that's out of the way now that we have uh, fully set the stage we can actually hop into the episode proper and uh, it, it was super fun getting to research this one because I found something I never thought I would find it was an actual uh, Warner Brothers Kids WB promo for the episode. Yes, I, I saw you post it, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you remember these, Matt, but, like, cartoons never really got much promotion. Usually you would wake up on Saturday morning. Again, that was a thing we did, children. This is a thing we actually did. Mm-hmm. You'd wake mm-hmm. up early. The shitty ones were on from, like, 6 till 7, and then, like, around 8 o'clock, 8.30, like, the really good stuff would start, you know, rolling. Static was always on early. Static was always, like, one of the yes. earliest ones. And you would usually get, like, the promo package for today, like, this week on, you know, Static, and, you know, next week on an all-new static and i'm glad i found this one too because i totally remembered this commercial and this promo package for it different than what it actually was and actually we're gonna splicey splice into that right now (laughs) on an all-new static shock (laughs) stop it stop it get him a loner at dakota high let me is pushed too far what's that don't miss a very special static shock I'm really glad I found this promo because I had remembered the whole thing completely wrong. It's it's a Bernstein Bears effect. I had always thought that, you know, the, the show got little promotion. This particular episode got little promotion because cartoons in general didn't get promotion. But I vividly had remembered them not actually selling it as a very special episode. But in fact, they actually did use the word very special episode. Mm-hmm. Which they didn't do that very often, so when they did, it was surprising, especially for this one, because it was season two, episode 11. It was actually the season finale of season two. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because like, when I watched it, it was like episode 14 or something? Or uh, Again, streaming services do it out of order, but in the official yeah. production order, this is the last one they worked on. 
for episode two. And I, I, I remember the trailer vividly because there's a bit there where it's like, oh, oh, there's this messed up kid named Jimmy. Oh, what's he going to do? Oh, he's reaching into his pocket. And I, I, this I do remember as a kid, Saturday morning, pajamas, cereal, sitting watching the trailer. I'm like, that's going to be a major fake out, man. I bet, I bet they're using superpowers as an allegory for school shootings and school violence. They're not actually going to have the kid whip out a gun. Oh, how surprised I fucking was. I think I actually did. <laughs> do a like a milk spit take in the morning like oh my god they did it yeah he's a he's my real gun yeah because even then my assumption was is like yeah no network would allow them to do this because we grew up in the time when like batman the animated series was allowed to use real guns then they had to stop using real guns mm -hmm. and then like the spider-man show was only lasers and they could only punch we had been getting pretty used to the weird rules that they put on superhero media yeah yeah so this one surprised the shit out of me, and I, I have to wonder, I have to truly think, like, they got this under the radar, didn't they? Like, they lied to someone to make this happen, because no one promoted it, no one talked about it in its original run, and, like, there was, like, no controversy over it, or at least, I mean, I'm sure there was, but again, this is pre-Twitter, so no one could register their thoughts online instantly. Yeah, yeah, they, they 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 did a cut where like the gun wasn't like a real one. It was like a yeah uh, a laser gun or something. L you like know? four kids in Yu-Gi-Oh when they take out the guns yeah. and the saw blades and everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Shit, this was airing around the same time as Yu-Gi-Oh. Actually, <laughs> there's a cut out there where it's all like doctors and everything. Yeah, really pulls out a rice ball. <laughs> oh no, sorry, a jelly donut. You can't have rice balls. That's too Japanese. We need to protect the children from other cultures. <laughs> Thanks for kids. Uh, so yeah, we, we hop into the episode proper with the actual theme of Static Shock, which is very interesting because uh, it would actually change from season to season. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They would actually update it. This is the very standard, you know, gotta be be, gotta be be superhero. For the next two seasons, they would get little Bow out to do the superhero static shock, which I think is the theme most people remember. That, that's the one I remembered. So when I heard this, I'm like, wait a minute, did I just like completely dis disremember the, the the theme song to Static? Yeah, it, it was different. They would even update it in the opening too. Like he would fight different villains in the opening sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. They would move it around, and I'm like, oh, that's super cool they did that. It's one of the many things that, you know, really helped differentiate Static from Superman and Batman that were also going on. Um, but what were some other things they would do? Oh, uh, we're working with a version of this that, sorry, everyone, is only 4080p, because uh, that's what TVs were sized for back then. <laughs> This was in a day before TVs were bigger, and as Matt and I were talking, they didn't change that on the Blu-ray, nor did they change that on the HBO Max app. Nope. The next season would actually change aspect ratio. In fact, this is one of the shows where I really noticed, oh, wow, they changed aspect ratios on me. Yeah, yeah. To where I actually uh, am aware of it. Uh, the intro is cool because, like, it's a perfect encapsulation of Virgil and Static's life. It's just him fighting to try and get to school, but everything is stopping him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think there's something so perfect about that. Where it's like, yep, that's his life. Yep, yep. Just always coming in under the radar. Uh, we get the big title card there, which loves static, and the title card is basically the title card from the comic. I forgot it was just on this weird purple background. Yeah, it's a very sta very static oh, um, image. Uh, shot, yeah. How about that, right? Th this feels like something like, okay, we've worked on everything else on the show so hard, this is the last thing we gotta do. <laughs> ah, purple background, I guess. They forgot uh, last minute, like, ah, oh, shit, we didn't have, like, a title card. Ah, Hey, Bob, just whip one up in, uh, in Gimp. Just throw it in there. Also, too, hey, uh, Static Shock, a theme song with lyrics where Batman, Superman, even Justice League, mm -hmm. none of them had lyrics. No, no, that's what set him apart. Very much so. I like that he had lyrics. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yes, we get into the Real Deal episode. It's just called Jimmy One Word. We're at... Uh, the community center that uh, Virgil's father runs, which was an epicenter for many episodes and adventures in the show. And we see that something something terrible has happened, and Richie, uh, Virgil's best friend, is hurt and is being taken by the ambulance. Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting we, we have this this place here, because this, this like, predates Feast and all those sorts yes. of things in, oh, in yeah. uh, comics, which is... And it's very strange to see that that, that Feast is now kind of, like, a big Spider thing. Spider-Man's thing, yeah. Yeah, M yeah. McDuffie did it first, man. Dude was an innovator. <laughs> and uh, speaking of McDuffie, uh, he wrote the episode along with Alan Burnett. In fact, McDuffie wrote most episodes of this show. Obviously, he's the original static creator. He did the teleplay. 
Uh, Burnett is also like a superhero animation legend. He did Batman mm-hmm. and Justice League yep. and Superman. Uh, hey, you know that new Kyle Higgins comic, uh, Radiant Black? Yes. Uh, that guy's last name is Burnett because it's a reference to Alan Burnett. Oh, nice. That's cool. Very cool. Uh, here's the thing I didn't know. Uh, I thought Alan Burnett had died, actually. Obviously, Dwayne McDuffie is sadly no longer with us. No, Burnett's alive. He's just 70. Oh, okay. <laughs> what an amazing career. And again, he's a guy, too, where, like, I'm sure they could ask him to come back tomorrow, and I'm sure he'd be able to write one. Oh, I'm sure of it, yeah. I'm yeah. sure he's probably got, got some stashed away somewhere. Hey, we got two new Batman and Superman shows on their way there to HBO Max. Let's make it happen, guys. Yeah, special episode. Special episode. Get get the old band back together. Yeah, I like that a lot. <laughs> I mean, you basically rehired everyone else. Get Burnett back. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Virgil wants to go with him to the hospital there. They're being very cagey about what's going on, and his father tells him to stay behind, which, you know, is really demoralizing to him, both as a friend and a hero, that he couldn't do anything to stop this, and he can't do anything to help right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But oh wait, we move around in time again because this is basically a Pulp Fiction episode where we're shown everything out of order. Yeah, from different angles and everything. Yeah, well, a lot of Dutch angles too, a lot of like slanted things. Did you know that? I forgot this show loved that. They do it in the opening credits when mm-hmm. Static is fixing his hair and they do it in this one too when the cops are putting yeah. up a perimeter. Yep. I'm like, God, they really love Dutch angles here. <laughs> Uh, But yeah, Virgil is talking to a sociologist. Apparently, everyone who was involved in this big thing at the school that we are at the community center that we still don't know about yet uh, Mm -hmm. was that they all have to talk to this sociologist. And basically, Virgil walks her through the story of how uh, we got to this position and how he met the particular Jimmy of the story. But uh, before we do any of that, the show remembers, oh, yeah, wait, we're a superhero show. So I guess we should try and get in one superhero fight before we go super dark and serious for the rest of it. Yeah, this is this is one of the very few episodes where Static is in the costume, like, twice. Yep. Like, once here, and then once right at the end of the episode. Yep, it's a Static episode with very little Static in it. Yeah. Which is cool, that strength of character that you can do <laughs> that. They do that with Batman and Superman all the time, where it's like, look, whether he's yeah. in the costume or not, he's still the hero. Still a hero, yeah. Yeah, we see Static duke it out with an armadillo man, who we've actually seen a few other times in the show. Him and uh, Ferret were like, you know, the real loser jobber bang babies who would always get, like, fought as part of, like, bigger stories. Mm -hmm. Also, hey, too, I'm pretty sure the guy who does the voice of the armadillo man here is also the guy who does the voice of Jimmy. Oh, really? Uh... There's, what's his name? His name's Richard something. Richard Horowitz. He voiced, Zim. He, he voiced Zim on Invader Zim. Well, Matt, I'm glad you said that because that's going to be our next segment of the show now. Yes, uh, <laughs> Richard Horowitz is uh, the voice of Jimmy in this episode, the sad boy who will end up making some truly horrible decisions. And uh, it's funny, too, that he plays such a serious character because Horowitz, as you mentioned, is an actor known predominantly for comedy and because of that i have put together a list the top five roles of richard horowitz <laughs> are you ready for it i'm ready so this dude's had an amazing career in both live action and in animation so coming in at number five we have alpha five. Oh, okay yes richard horowitz was the original voice of alfred here's the thing though you're probably thinking well i don't remember reading his name in the credits uh yeah he did it under a pseudonym <laughs> In fact, he did many roles under a pseudonym, actually. So not only is he, like, a super prolific voice actor, but he's done probably even more things than you know about. He's hiding. He's hiding his voice. Yeah, I I think he's one of those guys because he waffled back and forth between doing voice acting and doing, like, live action stuff. I guess he didn't want one to affect the other. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. So that's one of the things he did. So yeah, he's frickin' Alpha 5. I bet you didn't think when you checked out this episode that there'd be a Power Rangers connection, but here you go. (laughs) Uh, Number four, uh, Invader Zim. Yeah, he was Zim from Invader Zim. Probably his most famous role. Yes, that's that's what I knew him from, yeah. And I think that's the voice that's like closest to his own register. Like even when he shows up in other stuff, it's like, oh, hey, it's Zim. Mm Mm-hmm. Everywhere he goes, I need to go back and rewatch that show. I remember watching it when it aired, but I haven't gone back to it in years. I know it has, like, this super cult following. It had yeah. that Netflix special not too long ago. Yep. People people love it. Uh, number three, uh, he was Billy, and also Billy's dad from The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Billy does sound a little bit like Zim. He sounds like Zim, but a little dumber. Yeah, he's a little dumber is the whole thing. Uh, I think that's the first time I had ever heard him in a role was doing that show. That is also a very funny and very underrated show, everyone. The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. I'm shocked they've never tried to resurrect that the same way they tried to resurrect other old stuff. Hmm. Eh, maybe there's time. You know, we, we have a bad habit in this show, Matt, of when we put something out to the universe, <laughs> then it happens. Then it happens, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Number two, uh, Richard Horowitz was also Daggett from the show Angry Beavers, which is a show yes. I think people haven't thought about in forever. No, no. I, I do remember watching this quite a fair bit. Again, it was your typical buddy comedy by way of Nickelodeon. Daggett was the energetic dumb one, and uh, the other beaver was like the smarter, more stoic one. So, you know, classic comedy pairing. (laughs) I know there's some great audio around there of uh, Horowitz and the other guy screwing around in the VO booth uh, during the recording of the last episode. Oh, really? Yes, it was them bemoaning the fact that it was a last episode, and it's like, kids, when this is done, you'll never see us again. We'll disappear into the void. (laughs) Because Nickelodeon was famous for doing that back in the day, they would never actually do final episodes. The (laughs) idea being they would want to, you know, string kids along and have them watching reruns forever in hopes they'd see a new episode. Yeah, the, the final episode would just be like a regular episode. Yep. You'd never realize that it was the final one. Yeah. Which, hilariously, the DCU d- did that a lot in the beginning. The end of Batman is just a regular one. Uh, the new Batman Adventures was just a regular episode. I think, did uh, no, Superman had more of a finale. Mm-hmm. Static, ironically enough, definitely had a finale. I think yes. people, no one ever talks about the final Static episode, but they have an actual real final one where they, like, solve every problem and it's done. Yeah, isn't it about, like, some, they, they gotta, like, cure people yes. or something? Yeah. Yes, they end up curing the bang babiness of everyone. Yeah, yeah. And even as a kid, I'm like, is it right to do that? Are you, like, <laughs> should you? I mean, like, yeah, obviously, like, a lot of these people are abusing the powers, but still, like, that's a real playing God move there, Virgil. <laughs> to take the powers away. And uh, finally on our list of Richard Horowitz characters, uh, number one, Moxie from Hell of a Boss. I don't know if you've been watching Hell of a Boss, Matt, have you? I haven't, no. It's a newer thing. It's from VZ Pop, I believe is uh, what her channel's called. Uh, She did that. She did Has Been Hotel. It's part of this bigger interconnected universe it was a massive kickstarter success uh, one of the shows has already been picked up by like a24 to become like a real production and not just like a really passionate internet thing and uh, hell of a boss is kind of like the side project that became like the main project because the other thing got bought mm-hmm. it's very good he's very funny in it and him being in the show because he is like a professional actor with such like you know uh, big long credentials and everything. Yeah. I, I think that's what gave a lot of people reason to watch and be like, oh shit, this isn't some rinky dink internet production. This is like the real deal. Yeah, he gave it some legitimacy. Very much so. It's very funny. He's funny in it. It's totally for adults, so he's allowed to say fuck and everything, so it's great. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> and he's just doing the Zim voice. Like, he's literally just doing Zim. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so back in Static Land, we are introduced to our particular character, Jimmy. He's working on his laptop, and because this is 2002, that's actually a pretty big deal, because this was in a day and age when not every classroom had a computer in it. Mm-hmm. And laptops were, like, the size of friggin' suitcases, and they had battery lives of, like, what, 30 minutes? Yep. He also has a non-wireless mouse. He has just a regular mouse. Yeah, that's don't know how he's how he had that yeah don't know how he does it which i i guess at this point this is like a character moment where it's like yeah in 2002 if you were good with computers you had to have been an outsider and been something of a weirdo because it took a lot of time they weren't super easy like they are now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know he he's such a weirdo with his computer which is yeah. hilarious now because everything is on computers his computers with stickers of skulls and mm. other weird shit. Weird shit, you know. He's got to watch out for this one. You know, he's trouble. He's troubled <laughs> this Jimmy, as we're going to find out. And uh, not long after meeting Jimmy, we meet his tormentor, his chief bully, and I guess our antagonist for the episode. I forget his name. I'm just going to call him Muscle Shirt. Yeah, yeah it's, like, it's like a kid wearing like a wife beater to school. Yeah, just every day, just like, yeah, I got to show off my guns. Yeah, mm. <laughs> see how I got that muscle you ass from bullying is what that is. That's good bully muscle. 
And he's always got this, like, shit-eating grin always. on his face. Oh, yeah, you can tell the animators had a blast making this guy. He he looks like a freaking Archie villain. Like, doesn't he look like the yeah. other guy? Like, not Jughead, not Archie. Moose. He looks like Moose from Archie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he's got two other little henchmen, and they make it uh, their goal in class just to royally screw with poor Jimmy. They keep closing his laptop lid. They unplug his cords there, and he's just, he can't handle it, man. He's freaking the hell out, and, you know, Virgil doesn't like it, and he tries to step up for him, but there's not much he can do because he's not static. He's just regular old <laughs> Virgil, and that's kind of Virgil's whole character journey this episode. Yeah, yeah, doing things as... Virgil not as static yeah and being kind of at a loss as Virgil where it's like you know as static I can literally move mountains I can make metal dance for me but as just a regular guy I can only do so much and you know this feeling of maybe I should do more uh Virgil too being a smart kid says like you know wow you know the teacher busted me for coming in late because I was fighting crime yet somehow she is completely blind to all of this and this this is where we start getting into the social commentary of the episode and I feel when people remember this episode they only remember it for the bullying subplot and not for mm -hmm. like all the other factors that inform it because mm -hmm. Dwayne McDuffie's a smart guy this was two years after Columbine and this is an episode that is very much referencing the real world events that happened there and I remember when it happened because this was like a huge story in my lifetime everyone was saying you know where were the teachers where were the parents and because Dwayne McDuffie probably heard a lot of that stuff too he put it in the episode yep so yeah teacher teacher not paying attention and lets this happen and after class he gets even worse they steal his laptop from him they completely mess him up and they end up breaking his you know very early 90s early 2000s mouse yeah, that probably cost him, like, $200. Yeah, back in those days. Like, yeah, those would not be cheap. It's not like now we're like, ooh, look, I got my cheap little mouse here that I got at the dollar store because it lights up. <laughs> yeah, no, that was actually serious tech, and, like, there weren't computer stores around every corner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another thing, too, that surprised me about this episode, Jimmy doesn't actually speak all that much, so they got, like, a very prolific actor, but he doesn't talk much. Yeah, yeah, it's it's all in, like, I guess, like, the animation, how yeah. they animate him and everything. Because, like, he's a shy kid, he's a withdrawn kid, and everything, and that's all playing into the bigger characters of it all. Uh, obviously, Virgil and Richie want to help him out, so they get him a replacement mouse and come to his house the next day, and they meet, they meet his mom, actually, and, you know, whenever it comes to one of these kids who end up, like, you know, shooting up their school or attacking classmates and everything, like I say, they always say, where, where are the parents, and yet... A lot of the times you're surprised to find out, like, oh, they were just from, like, regular middle-class homes with, like, regular-ass parents and everything. Yeah. That's that's weird. You know, that's crazy. That's not, you know, the images that people conjure in their mind. Though they do a small thing here that is small, but I think, like, really smart. She says something that is so momish, but something that's ultimately so cutting. So yeah, what, what the mom basically says is like, oh, don't run these ones away too, implying that Jimmy has had a history of running people away and being weird. And like the mom is trying to be supportive in the ways moms do, but is ultimately kind of dropping the ball on it. Yeah, yeah, she's just... She doesn't really know what to do. No, she's like, oh, oh, that boy of mine. Oh, I just don't understand him. Yeah, I'll I'll just kind of leave them to my own uh, to their to their own devices and everything, which by all account is exactly what the Columbine kids' parents did with them, and they ended up building friggin' propane bombs in their house and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, we see Jimmy's room, and it is your stereotypical nerdy room, right down to totally not Star Wars that he is totally not a fan of. <laughs> yeah, says so Star Wars, not. Star Trek sort of mm -hmm. stuff, yeah. <laughs> he he has a prop replica of totally not Han Solo's blaster. <laughs> and uh, he, he even mentions that he has the movie on DVD too, which as I mentioned before in 2002, that was pretty rare, which means Jimmy here is actually an early adopter of DVD. <laughs> Makes sense. He's, you know, he's got, he's got the laptop, he's got, which back then as well would have been like... Uh, a DVD player. Uh, but yeah, DVD player, but also something that not a lot of people would have had. Absolutely, yeah, he's, he's a technophile, he's an early adopter, and this, you know, quaint little moment here of them getting to know Jimmy, and, you know, learning a little bit more about him, trying to bring some light into his life, 
quickly takes a very dark turn when Jimmy does basically exactly what his mother knew he was going to do and said, hey, Virgil, if you like that prop, you want to see a real gun? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he, get, he gets a little weird about it. He gets a little, do you want to see a dead body under the bridge? That is that is exactly, you know, the emotion that he's bringing to this. And Virgil, understandably, freaks the hell out, not just because he's a superhero, but also because his mother was killed due to gun violence in in the riots that the show never really went into in the first couple seasons. I do believe they did a time travel episode later. Mm-hmm. But even then, I don't think they actually explain what the root cause of the riots are. Yeah, yeah. Which I think was a smart thing for the show to do to try and make it timeless, where it's like, oh, was this a reference to the L.A. riots? Is this, like, you know, uh, anything else? Which I'm sure McDuffie's like, don't worry, I'm sure more riots will be a thing in Americans' future. You can superimpose whatever reason you want on it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, Virgil freaks the hell out and uh, leaves them be. And, you know, he, he bemoans that to the psychologist later. Where it's like, you know, I, I could have stopped it. I should have said something, but I didn't. And uh, th this is where they really get into the PSA-ish part of the episode where they, like, actually give you the statistics of, like, how many young people are hurt every year by, you know, handguns in the home. Yeah, it's uh, out of all the episodes we've done on these type of topics, this is the one that was, like, the most serious about yes, it. Yes, this was the most direct PSA episode of all. The, in fact, this one literally ends with Static talking directly mm -hmm. to the audience. This is the first time they would do it, but they would do it several other times. They would do an episode about racism, I think in season one, which was actually about Richie's dad. And they do another one later about dyslexia with Rubber Band Man, where they'd actually stop and talk to the audience. Yep. Oh, and they did a really good homeless one, too. I don't know if they stopped and talked to the audience on that one. Okay. We'll have to do the homeless one later. That's a good one. Michael Dorn is in that one. We'll do it for our homeless saga. Yeah, yeah, yeah man, we could do a homeless saga. We'll do Little Girl Lost from Superman. Uh, we'll do the one where he like goes to the work camp in Batman. We'll do that one. Oh my god, we could do a homeless saga. I hate that you're right, Matt, and we could do that. That there's many homeless-centric episodes. Uh, so Jimmy actually starts hanging out with, uh, Virgil and Richie, and he kind of becomes, like, a sort of friend to them, but he still, like, obviously is working through a lot of problems, he's distant and withdrawn, and as we find out later, he maybe has some issues that they haven't quite invented proper words for talking about yet, because, again, 2002... Yeah, and again, it goes into the whole thing where people would just think, ah, oh, it's just kids being kids, yeah. you know? Absolutely, yeah, that's the thing. Uh, Muscle Shirt and his goons come to mess with him, and I just realized this screen I captured was an in-between frame where he has no eyes. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> ah, that's why he's mad at Jimmy. He's mad that he has eyes and he doesn't have Jimmy, any. Jimmy stole his eyes. <laughs> Give me back my eyes, Jimmy. But yeah, so Muscle Shirt screws with him, you know, makes fun of him for his inability to dunk. <laughs> which was a big thing in the late 90s, early 2000s, your ability to dunk. Yes, yeah, see, your whole social status was, mm. was hinging on if you could dunk or not. Absolutely, you know, Jordan was hot, you know, it's a whole thing. <laughs> uh, so Frida comes in, who is basically, I guess, the female lead of Static. Fr Frida is weird in this show, because in the comics, she was Virgil's love interest. Mm -hmm. And here in the show, she's just kind of a character that's there. Yeah, yeah, just that they, I, again, I think it's like they probably didn't really know what to do with it. But no. they, they know they needed, like, a female voice like, yeah supporting character yeah yeah and you know she, she she was a fine character and everything as we see here you know she got the okay from virgil's dad to turn the community center into their haunted house for halloween yeah and can we talk about their haunted house for a second there how freaking amazing is the haunted house they create is, is they have a bit a bit of a production budget yeah oh my god they turn it into like an amazing maze and everything it's out of this goddamn world yeah, it's got like a, an area that's like got all these gravestones and everything. It I is... like to think that they're real gravestones yeah. as well. Yeah, we just took them. <laughs> we'll have to have a very special episode next week about not defacing graves. <laughs> let the, let the, the gravestone the saga. The gravestone saga, yes. 
But yeah, so Jimmy really throws himself into this because, you know, he loves special effects and horror and sci-fi and everything. And he especially loves all the positive reinforcement he is getting from Frida. And this, this is one part of the episode that I feel has aged. I don't want to use the word aged poorly, but it's a thing that I'm sure if the episode was made today, they would probably focus on a little bit more. And that is like, oh, Jimmy is developing a really unhealthy uh, fixation with Frida here. And as we know from real school shooters, uh, the Virginia Tech guy, uh, the Poly Tech guy uh, from Montreal, which was like actually in the 80s. Uh, yeah, they didn't just start with shooting up their classmates. They started with stalking women. Yeah, they they showed uh, what is now referred to as incel behavior. Very much so. Jimmy is basically an incel before his time, and those other two I mentioned there were also kind of incel guys. See yeah. also Elliot Rogers, who also yep. had, you know, some weird hung-up ideas about women and everything. I, I guess if there's one problem with this episode, and it's probably, again, the reason that a lot of people memory hold it, where it's like, oh, it's all about bullying. You know, Jimmy was a good kid who just snapped when they put too much pressure on him and it's like yes but also what we know about school shooters now especially about the columbine shooters which again was only two years ago when this episode was made you could make an argument and many people did that they were just as much bullies yeah yeah and especially because they recorded just about everything they did and we can read their journals and everything uh one of those kids was very much a sociopath the other one was oh, yeah. you know just depressive and just wanted to die the, the columbine shooters are weird too because it's two of them but every other big school shooting it's usually one yeah yeah the, the, or the, again that's that's become a thing as well because everyone thinks when these things happen it's like oh there has to have been more than one where is the other yeah. one or where are the other ones yeah, yeah, oh yeah, I, I could only imagine if Columbine had happened today, all the conspiracy shit that would follow it. See, also mm -hmm. Sandy Hook, which I, that yeah. guy didn't go to Sandy Hook, but it was a shooting at a school. Yep. So that's a whole thing there. But uh, yeah, I feel that's a thing they would do different. Uh, another thing, too, about Columbine that I'm surprised this show didn't touch on. Well, probably because it wasn't out there yet. It's only stuff we discovered later from reading uh, Harris and Klebold's journals there. Boy, there was a lot of Hitler in one of their journals, and also one of the knives they brought to school to Columbine had a swastika on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, like a lot of these other shootings now, it's like, there's a racial component to this, too, that America is afraid to talk about, it feels. <laughs> but, you know, that's a depressing topic. Let's keep going. Uh, so, yeah, you know, Jimmy helps out with the haunted house. His, you know, self-worth actually skyrockets a little bit, but because you basically know where this episode is going, it's only a matter of time before it all comes crashing down, mostly because of Muscle Shirt, but also because he hears Frida basically rebuke him when he's overhearing one of their conversations. Yeah, yeah. Which, again, uh, as a thing that does kind of hold up where it's like, yeah, again, incelish behavior, let us not forget, as we now yeah. have words for it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Muscle Shirt and his goons end up chasing him through the maze. And, man, there's, there's a thing Static does. I don't know if you noticed this, but whenever there was an action scene, you know, they wouldn't have, like, an orchestra. They would have, you know, like, a rap song or, like, some... It's like a beats. Beats yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd have, like, a beat to try and match the mood and everything. And the beat would usually have lyrics. We saw it in the fight at the beginning of the episode with the Armadillo Man, where it's like, rolling, rolling, he's rolling at you, son. Uh, static, watch out, he's rolling. <laughs> and then here in this one, too, where they're chasing him through the maze, they're like, running, running, they're chasing him, they run in. <laughs> I'll have to splice that in so people don't think I'm crazy. But they did it all the time. The music in the show is great, don't get me wrong, and it really added to the flavor of the whole thing. It's just something I noticed looking back 20 years later. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, again, it gave the show its own uh, voice and mm -hmm. style compared to, like, Batman the Animated Series and all that sort of stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, my favorite piece of music, in case you're wondering, is actually the music that accompanied uh, Kangor, who was the evil metahuman that Static fought, who was Jamaican. Oh, and every time he was on screen, the score would always go dun 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 just like steel drum the shit out of it. Like every time this character came somewhere, it was just like huge steel drums and Jamaican patois yelling. Again, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know if they would make that choice today. 
It'd be like, you know, if I showed up in a room and it was just like, you know, snow, maple syrup, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> Or if you showed up in a room, boomerangs, Barbies, Fosters, <laughs> that you don't actually drink that I know now. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> uh, so, so, so the bully's big grim finale here is they end up throwing Jimmy in a locker, which is something that happens in like every piece of high school media. Did you ever know anyone who got thrown into a locker at your school? No, well, we don't even lockers aren't a thing here. Really? We we have like well, we have like our school bags, and we put them in like they're like these open faced racks. Oh, huh. you just put them in, and then you go into your classroom. Interesting. So yeah, I, I had a, a lockers through my whole high school, but they were very very tiny. They were like you know smaller, like even than my work desk, smaller than most doors. Where I'm like, you, you couldn't get anything in there. You could barely get your books in there. And I wonder, did they make lockers smaller as like an answer to this, or am I again Bernstein Bears rem- remembering this wrong because? I've always been like 6'1", 260 pounds, and no one was ever throwing my ass in a locker, no matter how nerdy I was. It just wasn't happening. <laughs> yeah, no, I've always seen that as like an American thing, the lockers and everything. Yeah, yeah, getting yeah. getting thrown in a locker. Again, I've never seen it happen. I don't doubt it does happen, because it had to have come from somewhere, this idea. It just wasn't conjured from whole cloth. That'd be something interesting to look into. Like, yeah. where did this start? Yeah. They also wedgied him earlier in the episode, which is another one of those things that is classic TV bullying and something I'm sure has happened, but something that I don't think I have ever seen in my life. Someone actively no. get a wedgie. S- same, yeah. Like, like, it feels, again, it feels like Archie Andrews. It feels like 1950s. Mm-hmm. I mean, not to say that kids in my high school wouldn't screw with you. They would do that thing where you put, like, your thumb and finger together and you do that thing on someone's skin really hard and it leaves, like, a little bite mark. Yeah, yeah. That was a popular one. Uh, another one, you would need another person to do this where they would, like, get down on all fours behind you and then you'd get pushed. Mm-hmm. And because you were pushed over something, you wouldn't be able to write yourself. <laughs> so, you know, kids are assholes in every era is what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy is not a fan of this. In fact, he truly uh, ends up freaking out because of this. Again, a lot of, you know, uh, untalked about issues, I'm sure. Maybe he, uh, what's that thing? Uh, Fear of dark places. Uh, Claustrophobic. Yeah, he's claustrophobic. Fear of dark and, and like, um, cramped spaces. Cramped spaces, yeah. I was going to say agoraphobic, but that's actually the opposite. That's fear of wide open spaces. (laughs) Yeah, if he doesn't want to go outside. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So yeah, this this basically wrecks the poor kid, you know, and he's, you know, absolutely, you know, uh, out of it. Uh, he doesn't even come to school for two days. He misses the big Fright Night Festival, which Frida gets her big moment to do when she tells Muscle Shirt basically to screw off, you know, don't apologize to me because you clearly want to date with me, which has basically been his villainous motivation all episode long. Go apologize to him. Which you know he's not going to (laughs) do. No, no, not at all. But you have to wonder if he did, could he stop the thing that's going to happen next? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Virgil and his dad are driving along and they're like, hey, you know, maybe we should go pick Jimmy up there so he can help with the cleanup of the event and everything. You know, we can basically just check in on him, do a wellness check. Yeah. I I really love Virgil's relationship with his dad in this show. It's really nice. It's nice, isn't it? Again, you know, Dwayne McDuffie really hit it out of the park when it's like, yeah, his dad is a social worker. His dad's job is to help people in their day-to-day life. And, you know, he passes that on to his son, this need to Mm -hmm. help and everything. And we see him do it multiple times in multiple episodes. Virgil's dad will, like, throw himself in harm's way. Yeah, it's interesting as well how he wants, like, he has, he doesn't work for the school or anything, no. and, like, he wants to help this child more than the actual school does. Yes, oh, absolutely, yeah, because he just cares that much and he has just that big a heart. You can see why in the new Static comics that are coming out just recently, they have literally made Static's dad just look like Dwayne McDuffie. Yeah, he's pretty much Dwayne McDuffie, yeah. He, he is Static's father both literally and figuratively, and there's something kind of sweet and wonderful about that. Yeah. So yeah, they go to Jimmy's house. We meet Jimmy's dad, who again, like the mom, seems like a perfectly nice, normal, milk toast guy, but just super uninterested in what's going on with his kid. Yeah, again, like when when Jimmy was starting to talk about like, oh, I got my dad's gun and everything, I yeah. kept thinking to myself like, what what does his dad do? Like, yeah, we hadn't seen him up until this point. 
No, no, yeah, not at all. He, The dad says he got the gun for protection, which is interesting, too, because, you know, they are clearly a white milquetoast family in the area of Dakota that we have seen as a lot more ethnic. So maybe there is a racial angle to this that we're not really seeing. Yeah, yeah, now, maybe. And, and again, they don't seem racist because, you know, they're totally cool with Virgil and his dad coming in their house and everything. But, you know, that's the thing about racism. It can be, like, subtle and understated sometimes, you know? That's uh, that's the weird thing about it. So yeah, uh, Virgil goes up to Jimmy's room and uh, he sees he left his computer behind, which is weird for him because this is a guy who clearly takes his computer everywhere. And he ends up reading his manifesto because every fortune yeah, uh, post, as it would be now, wouldn't it? Or you know his YouTube upload, as it would be now. Which uh, again, uh, the Columbine kids did make that one famous too. They filmed videos and cassettes and everything which has led more people in recent years to believe, you know, oh, I think, yeah, at least one of these kids, the real sociopath one, wanted to be remembered, right? He, like, wanted to be famous and wanted to yeah. inspire other shooters. Yeah, there was that, that, there was that guy that, um, didn't he shoot up a Walmart or something? Uh, probably in, there was a couple, like, copycat crimes right like, after. Yeah, like, one, like, it was, I think, 2019 or something. Right, And, yeah, yeah he, he wanted to be, like, known and oh. everything. But, no, no, like, again, no one remembers him. Yeah, was that the guy who live-streamed it? Because there was a guy who was, like, live-streaming his shoot. I, th this is the darkest, most messed up part, yeah. that there's so many mass shootings yeah. now in the States, we cannot keep that, track of them all. That might have been, I know that the, uh, the guy from New Zealand did that. Right. Oh, I know that was his thing. He wanted he wanted to live stream it and let everyone see it. Yeah. Wasn't there a guy he live streamed and he mentioned PewDiePie, didn't he? Was the thing subscribed to PewDiePie? I think so. Yes. I, I honestly can't remember the I'm, details. I'm probably blending several together, but that was another mass shooter thing. But yeah, this this is this dark, messed up manifesto idea taken 20 years later to its ultimate extreme. And that is like, yeah, you know, crazy, evil assholes are going to be like live streaming their killing sprees. Mm hmm. Also, his uh, his manifesto is called the Battle Journal, and because this is a comic show, I'm like, is that a Punisher reference? Oh, he's got a skull on his laptop. Oh my god! And Marvel Knights was big at this time, as we talked about. <laughs> oh no! Oh, oh no. no! Oh, he was no. reading Marvel Knights. Oh no! Oh no! It all connects, doesn't it? Oh no! <laughs> but yes, yeah, so, so this puts Virgil in a really interesting position too, because like he knows something bad is happening. And, like, he could stop it as a superhero, but he didn't. And, like, so, you know, the guilt he feels is, like, super raw and, like, super uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a very interesting place to put the hero in. Uh, again, the dad is great. You know, Virgil's dad, because, you know, he just totally takes control of this situation. You know, we need to get to the community center. Again, we keep calling it a school shooting episode, but he doesn't actually shoot up the school. He tries to shoot up the community center. Yeah, it's a community center shooting. Yes, as I stop and think about it, as I look back, and again, how we all remembered this episode wrong in one way or another. <laughs> but yeah, so he totally takes charge of the situation, you know, they find the missing gun, and he says, you know, Virgil, you gotta stay here, we're gonna go and meet the kid off at the pass. And, uh, you know, he's already there, and he's all ready to go about it. And yeah, this this is the moment that made me spit-take as a kid, oh my god, he pulled out a real gun. Yeah, and what's, what's kind of cool about it is that it, they make the gun actually look real it's not yes. like some toy or anything to oh, really yeah. sell home the fact that this is a real thing this is a real threat this could really happen to you and you got to be careful also hey another thing that it just hits me that i forgot about static actually had another real gun before in episode one uh during the big bang like gang rumble a guy hands virgil a gun and he throws it away so they had gotten away with it at least twice getting to use like a real firearm to hit home you know the gravity of said situation both yeah in both situations it's i guess you needed a real gun in you that needed situation which i guess too you know if you were having to go to a network i'm sure that was a hill they were willing to fight and die on because you know it's the whole mm -hmm. point of it could could mm -hmm. they have given him meta powers could they have made it an allegory they could have but i don't think this episode would have had the same punch if it didn't no no not at all yeah so he's freaking out you know he's ready to kill muscle shirt and richie ends up stepping on in and putting himself between it again showing us the heroism that lives inside richie which i like a whole lot uh next season he would become gear and everything yeah yeah so i like that this you know season finale is already kind of setting up the fact that you know he is willing to put himself in the way of wrong to try and do right 
not not only that as well is it also like showcases that like obviously static has had a bit of an effect on him yes uh and just being around static and everything yeah the good positiveness of heroism is you know infectious in its own way and sadly richie ends up paying the price because they tackle the kid with the gun it goes off and richie's actually the one who gets shot he gets shot, but we don't see any blood or anything, no. so it just looks like he got a leg cramp. It looks like he just fell down is the thing, because, you know, they, they probably had to fight tooth and nail for the gun. They weren't going to fight tooth and nail for blood. No. That, no. that being said, the place in the leg he gets shot, uh, you got a lot of veins and everything there in that part of the leg. Main so arteries and everything. Main yeah. arteries, so, like, you could have bled out instantly if you got shot mm -hmm. there. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Richie, he really sells it, the pain and everything. He, he says a line, too, that always does my head in, and that is like, oh, it's not like on TV. He says, well, on TV. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and again, they they probably had to say that just to, to, to hit home the fact yeah, that hey, getting shot is not like it is in the cartoons. Yes. So Static shows up. He's able to, you know, bat the gun away and everything. And, you know, comes to Richie's aid a, a little too late, which, you know, really explains all the guilt that Virgil has been dealing with and why he's talking to this psychologist. You know, he's a hero. He can do so much. But this kind of happened under his nose. And, you know, he blames himself thoroughly for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of how it goes. They, they take Richie away. Virgil finishes telling the story to the psychologist. We hear a little bit more facts there about gun violence and, uh, Lamar probably ends up giving one of his best monologues where he's like, you know, I, I'm mad at Jimmy for shooting Richie. I'm mad at Muscle Shirt. I'm mad at, you know, the guy. I'm mad at everything. Yep. What what do I do? And, you know, it, this is one of those great bits, too, where it's like he's a superhero and he's talking about superhero problems, but he can't mention it to this lady. Yeah, yeah. Is that he like... Can't he can't tell her that he's static, so he's... Yeah talking about i heard it all second hand second hand yeah so he has to like talk around it and everything uh frida is there too and you know we learn from her kind of the fate of everyone you know jimmy's gonna be going away to try and get some help he's not going to prison and muscle shirt only got suspended for a bit and it's this real you know kind of downer ending with static being just like wow you know there really is no justice in the world huh <laughs> <laughs> yeah which again is very milestone and very Dwayne McDuffie. It's like, yeah, sometimes the bad guys win, kids. Yeah. Some yeah. sometimes nothing can be done with it. Uh Richie returns to school, he gets uh Virgil to sign his cast, and you know, they once again hit home the severity. Hey, if I had been shot just a little bit higher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that was me a good Samaritan trying to get involved too, you know, hey, danger of guns. It's not just a danger for you and the person you hope to use it on. It's a danger for everyone around you. Yeah. And uh, the episode ends with them, too, uh, helping another kid who is seemingly getting bullied because, you know, Virgil has learned a lesson and he doesn't want to happen again. You know, it's a, it's a very after-school special ending, and it's an ending, too, that I wonder with everything we know now about, you know, the gun problem in the States and, you know, bullying and school shootings. I feel like they might have changed this ending up a bit because this, this ending to me, well, I do enjoy it in the episode. It feels very much like a talking point we hear all the time whenever there's a mass shooting, and that is the whole, oh, you know don't don't walk out kids step up and solve the problem which always which is always coming from like you know right-wing gun huddling politicians who are like no don't blame the guns you, you children need to do more to not get shot you need to befriend these crazy <laughs> children even if they stalk women and revere hitler and everything it's all on you children <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> again i think they would have done this one a little bit differently even if it does work in this moment and yeah we end with a straight up psa with Static talking directly to the audience, giving more stats about gun violence, and uh, I was going to contrast and compare the school shooting statistics from this to now, but I didn't want to because I know they're worse. I don't have you didn't to. Didn't want to be depressed. Yeah, yeah, I know they're worse. Like, yeah, not only was this a problem in 2002, it kept being a problem and didn't stop. Yeah, yeah, it's still happening. Yeah. Now, 2002, same year, uh, Michael Moore had his Bowling for Columbine documentary, which was like the first feature-length documentary to really talk about Columbine and gun violence in the States. And, you know, as a result of that, Walmart stopped selling ammunition. So that was like one little thing that stopped. Mm -hmm. But, you mm -hmm. know, as we obviously know, if you've read the news or anything in the last 20-plus years, oh, yeah, there's still actually a lot more problems and a lot more stuff going on there. Yeah. 
So, yeah. So so that's a that's a whole thing there. But uh, there's the episode, everyone. Uh, we know it wasn't probably the happiest and it wasn't the funniest, <laughs> but again, it is a very important episode, and I think probably a high point of superhero television when it comes to tackling real issues. And it's an episode we all remember. Yeah, it, it definitely is. Yeah, and as you said, it's definitely some something that hasn't really been done in superhero no. animation since then like they they've kind of strayed away from that in recent years they yeah, don't I, do like the gun violence episode or the stranger no. danger episode anymore. no no i mean like it's like the things that even come close to me i think like you know oh steven universe did some really good episodes on like domestic abuse but because it's like a sci-fi fantasy there's like several layers of insularness mm -hmm. to it where it's like yes it's an episode about spousal abuse but like with all this alien stuff on top of it, but it's like, oh, I yeah. but that's what it's about about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, that's that's the episode, everyone. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, that's also the end of uh, the very special episode arc on Retro Hero. I think we're going to do a, a palate cleanser at the end of next month because we need it. <laughs> <laughs> yes definitely <laughs> after this one i promise we'll do something fun i think matt and i were talking about uh doing the first episode of that uh stan lee superhero reality show yes yes some cringe <laughs> oh yeah because it is just cringy and ridiculous and another <laughs> weird time cast where it's like oh yeah everyone was getting a reality show back then yeah, even nerds. Even nerds. Even nerds like us. Uh, you know, I, I also hope, too, uh, I, I was looking on YouTube, I'm like, has anyone else talked about this episode, like, specifically? Yeah, apparently Sabersparked did an episode on this, like, two months okay. ago. So I oh, hope okay. I hope ours is different enough from his. I know it's longer, that's it for be. sure. Yeah, I, I think it will be, too. But, uh, yeah, thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. And, hey, uh, fingers crossed that YouTube doesn't demonetize us on this one. Because they, I think they demonetized Sabersmark, actually. Oh, no. <laughs> I think they did, but I think he also ended up, like, saying, like, look, any money I'm going to make from this, I'm going to give to charity. And you know what? Maybe we should probably do that, too. I will put a link down in the description there. Hey, if you want to give to a good org uh, to try and combat school violence and gun violence and everything, I, I don't know what it is. I'll probably find, I'll try and find a good one, like uh, one that, you know, is maybe Canadian or Australian or something like that. I'll try and figure that out. Uh, that, that, you know, that way I can watch it and make sure your money's going someplace good. Don't worry, I'm watching it. I'm seeing where it's going. <laughs> So until then, everyone, this has been Retro Hero Video. Thank you so much, and we will be back again next time. Bye-bye. See ya.